Welcome to this episode of the This Is Believeland Real Browns Fans Podcast. I am your host, James Mastrucci, and of course, Jordan Cohen is with me, my co-host. Jordan, it is a great day in Cleveland, isn't it? It is a phenomenal day in Cleveland. We get to watch Nick Chubb play for the Cleveland Browns for the next four years. Oh, so you mean the, the extension for the very uh, prominent figure in the organization we're talking about is not Paul DePodesta? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I was really surprised, like, how much fanfare the Chubb re-signing got because, like, you just had, like, the brainchild of this entire team get re-signed for five years. Like, who cares about <laughs> running backs, right? They don't even matter. Oh, man. Uh, it, it was funny uh, checking certain groups and sections of Brown's Twitter to see uh, the celebrations that they had the moment that uh, DePodesta signed his extension, then the crushed feelings and tweets of sadness once the Chubb deal got announced. It was quite the uh, the uh, just swing of emotions there. <laughs> well, and it's the same group, right? Like, it's yeah. the, same, the same group of people that... I actually, I think they're small but loud. And, yes. I mean, like, what what keeps happening is this idea, like, I I don't understand. I, I really don't understand what DePodesta does. If you told me two years ago that I think he had a role, I would probably say, yeah. I think his role is much smaller now. And, and evidence of that is today they asked Jimmy Haslam about contract extensions for Baker Mayfield, Denzel Ward, Wyatt Teller, and Ronnie Harrison. Mm -hmm. And he did not say that's Paul DePodesta. He said that's Andrew Barry. So to... uh... I I, I don't know what Paul DePodesta does at this point. Uh, You re-sign him so another team doesn't get him, I guess. That's fine. But, like, it's still unclear to me what role he has in the organization. Yeah, so to quote one of my favorite movies, uh, Office Space... So what is it you say you do here? We don't know what he does. Nobody does. Right. <laughs> right. No, like there's it's unclear and What like, is this title chief strategy it. officer? What the hell does that mean? Yeah, and like <laughs> right, and like listen, the reality maybe he may be the intermediary between Barry and Haslam. <laughs> Right, like there's eight any of eight million things he could be doing. He could be kind of doing the intermediary stuff and maybe like heading up the analytics department. But in terms of decision making, I'm not clear that he's actually making many decisions. You're right. Yeah, I, I don't. We, I don't know what he and does. Maybe he is. I just. I. I. Yeah. I, I don't. I mean. Uh, this... I, and I guess let's kind of maybe move it to Chubb a little bit. Like, yeah. But like. If DePodesta's guardrails are right, this is a really dumb signing. Yes, uh, according to the the very sacred and holy document known as the guardrails, this was not a wise decision. But good thing is that those are irrelevant because they signed right. one of, if not the best running back in football to a three-year extension. He is in Cleveland for four more years. Right, and I guess for me, like, the big thing is that... And we've talked about this a lot but the guardrails were designed for a team that was literally completely rebuilding i think that's why deep Podesta was brought in to help with that and, and like let's just listen the rebuild seems like it's gone well like i don't know how much credit he deserves but maybe he deserves a little credit for that too like maybe he deserves a lot of credit we don't know but the guardrails aren't relevant anymore and i'm not really sure what deep Podesta's job is and it's always unclear it's like always in charge of our strategy what the hell does that mean like what does that mean and these guardrails 
would suggest you don't pay really for skill positions in general, not just running back, but especially running back. And I think what we're seeing is the organization a probably has many better versions of kind of the quote unquote analytics than the guardrails suggest, right? And my guess, given kind of research I did this weekend and given stuff like we've heard from the organization is they have numbers that suggest Chubb is crucial to this offense. And it's also a really good contract for both sides. So I I don't understand why people are like, oh, well, deep dust is guardrail, so we're going to be mad about the Chubb re-signing. I mean... Every time we bring up the, this uh, this vaunted document, uh, it's usually the same thing. We take a look at it, we kind of make fun of it, and um, it's it's really about it. But I mean, everything that we've done—I don't want to spend too much time on the guardrails—but everything they've done over the past year, even two years, has basically gone against everything <laughs> that the, this document stood for. Right, and I mean, okay, let's shift over to Chubb. Because, like, I think, like, it is the key piece of evidence. Mm -hmm. This is a great deal. Like, we both wrote about it this weekend. Like, this is a great deal. Yeah. uh, You know, I I wrote it from the perspective of uh, kind of team building uh, over on uh, This Is Believe. When you wrote a very good deep dive, numbers-based, analytically uh, friendly, analytically driven uh, profile behind it. And, uh, you know, I read it and... That was really fantastic, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, so it was your piece. Like, I, and we kind of talked about, like, your piece was great, too. So yeah, I, I think we both kind of arrived at the same conclusion, probably actually both from similar, similar avenues, but in mm-hmm. terms of the articles we put out, they're a little bit different. I just, this offense does not work without Nick Chubb. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. And, like, if if they were confident that Baker Mayfield was the guy, they would not have given Nick Chubb this contract. I agree. I think that's a, that's that's really the the next step to that you know eventual conversation they need to have. And this is something that me and you have actually talked about previously. And that is, if they're confident in Baker Mayfield's the guy, they're not going to worry about paying a running back, no matter how good they are, because they know that the the quarterback Baker would be able to be. I've used this phrase over and over again. Be what drives the offense. Well, what we know is that Nick Chubb drives the offense. Right. It's not Baker. Right. And, like, I think this is where the kind of, like, just the general analytics movement does have a point, right? Which mm-hmm. is that, yes, on average, if you have a good quarterback and a good running back, you're going to want to prioritize throwing the ball as much as possible, even, no matter how good the running back is. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, though, mm-hmm. especially in this type of system, which is heavy play action, heavy kind of outside zone, counter stuff if you don't have a good quarterback i don't know that you want to make that investment as much in passing him like i mean you and i have talked about this i think this is why the receivers are going to be the group that loses some value next summer mm-hmm. like i think at least one of odell and jarvis are probably gone i would be shocked if i mean i, I may be shocked if higgins is on the roster this year let alone next year mm-hmm. like i think they're going to cut some guys so Unless, unless Baker really can kind of show us this year that he's the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and what I but they don't know that yet. Neither do we. Yeah, and what I think it comes down to, and we've said it before, is can, can he show us that he's 
he's the reason these plays are happening in the passing game and not the play is the reason that he is successful. Yeah. And I mean, like I got on a big kind of film thing, thing, the, I, I got, I, it wasn't covered. I was sick with something this weekend. So I, I was just kind of like in my bed watching different like YouTube breakdowns of tape. And like, mm-hmm. what's clear to me is I don't think we've talked enough about how great Stefanski is. It's scheming an offense, so Baker knows his reads before the snap. Like, there's a formula that Baker has to know for every snap, but he doesn't actually need to make many reads during the snap. And that's great scheming by Stefanski. Mm-hmm. But right now, the problem with the offense, and you and I have talked about this, is Stefanski has to be absolutely perfect. Yeah. Because if Stefanski's not perfect against a team like the Chiefs, Baker's not going to be good enough to overcome that. Yeah, you're you're right. You're you're one hundred percent right with that because it's 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 limitation by the quarterback. Not that Baker is inherently bad, but he's not going to be someone that you have wiggle room with. Your your margin for error is very small, right. and I I don't think right. That and gets... that's why they re-signed Nick Chubb. That yeah, you're right. That's why they they re-signed Nick Chubb. That's why they're paying this wide receiver group and continue to pay this wide receiver group as much money as they do. That's why they went out and signed Austin Hooper to the massive deal that he was. Yeah, Stefanski likes tight ends, but let's be real. Uh, they need to make sure the best skill positions are around the quarterback so that the quarterback can be, I'm not going to say carried, but so the quarterback can be elevated by the position players, not the other way around. Right. I mean, like, this is the thing for me. Nick Chubb, is the guy like Stefanski doesn't need to call perfect game in the run game. Nick Chubb and even honestly to a certain extent Kareem Hunt can make up if the play call isn't perfect, right? If if the blocking isn't perfect, they are that good. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's why they resigned him. I think Nick Chubb makes Kevin Stefanski's life a whole lot easier. But and this isn't to say Baker's bad. I, I legitimately think Baker's a good quarterback. Like he is far and away the best quarterback. And for the new Browns with that said he's and we've talked about this he is so inconsistent that it's just in for weird like if you watch like some of these kind of like videos and breakdowns like he's doing something right on one play and then a game later on the exact same play making a mistake and vice versa so like on the good end you have like that week six game against the Steelers he doesn't read the rover safety and throws a I think it was a pick six, but if not a bad interception, a Minka Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. And then in the next two games, he's adjusted, right? And so in the week 17 and the playoff game, he adjusted. And that's like the good side of it, right? Like he mm-hmm. figured that out. But there's also stuff in both in the latter two Steelers games that he doesn't do well, right? So the Steelers were able to get him on kind of the sides of the field, right? On, on the boundaries. Yeah. In, in the last two games, they were able to trick him and make him throw bad passes. And it just... That's what's so confusing to me, and that's why you have to resign Nick Chubb. I think for this type of offense, Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry are like the are so far and away better than any other running back or any other. Let me rephrase: any other rusher. They are so better, much better for this type of offense, and, I, and this offense needs that. I'm I'm glad you used that very uh very specific clarifying word because it's it is, it is important in this uh, particular context. Uh, because, you know, Henry and Chubb are such gifted rushers, they're so much better 
at running the football than anyone else, but there are running backs or people who play the position that do have other skill sets that are far better at those skills than Chubb and Henry are. Right, and, like, I think a guy like McCaffrey or Kamara, like, though it's a different position. I don't it care is. what anybody it's, says. It, it's it a is. different position. The and, responsibilities and are entirely guys, different. So the, yeah, I mean, those four guys, like, Chubb and Henry is rushers. Kamara and McCaffrey is kind of catcher, more pass-oriented running backs. Mm-hmm. Th- they are better than anybody else by, I think, actually fairly substantial margins. Like, yeah. You have guys like Dalvin Cook who can kind of do a little bit of everything, but I, they're not at that level. But for this type of offense, I think a Chubb or a Henry is more valuable because they have to – not only is that run game just – crucial for everything they do in the past game but they're playing without perfect quarterbacks also yeah and it's it's kind of funny how similar uh the teams are built from that perspective when you look at it because you know Tannehill and Baker are not all that dissimilar from each other uh and then they have really great running backs in Chubb and Henry yeah yeah exactly I, I just I think for me, it's kind of in. It's easy to say, "Oh, well, the Titans haven't won anything." But like, if you actually look at the past two years, they've gotten close. Like, mm-hmm. I think in terms of building a team and offense around a quarterback like a Tannehill or a Baker, the Titans have done about as perfect of a job as any other team has done around that. Like, they've done better than the Vikings have on offense. Vikings have no offensive line. They haven't had an offensive line in three years, and people wonder why Kirk Cousins is so inconsistent under pressure. Well, like, if you put an offensive line around him, that wouldn't be the case. And, like, the Titans and Browns both have done that. Mm-hmm. They have. And it, it really sh- it really makes a world of difference for a quarterback in that specific group or tier. But let's get into the actual contract now for Chubb. It's a three-year deal, $36 million, $20 million guaranteed. And I, I was ecstatic when I saw these numbers. Um, first of all, I'm happy for Nick Chubb. He got life-changing money. Uh, he doesn't have to worry about anything post-football as long as he does things correctly financially. But from a team perspective, it doesn't bury them. They're able to work around it. They're able to get out of it if necessary, and it doesn't keep them locked in long-term, which is what I wanted if they were actually going to extend Chubb. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think... So you and I were laughing about this, and I think we both, like, the second the contract was announced, popped beers. But, like, we were laughing about this because, like, there was two kind of... There were three trends on Twitter at the time. Mm -hmm. One was where we were, which is, like, heck yeah. Just heck yeah, period, done. Yeah. Then there was the Nick Chubb took a really bad contract. And I don't... What people need to realize is, A, by it only being a three-year extension... He can get another contract in his prime, and he's mm-hmm. way short of the 1,500 carry mark where most running backs tend to start declining. Mm-hmm. He will probably be short of that mark by the time he can get a new deal. So for him, it, A, lets him get paid a second time. B, he's making $11 million more this year than he was last year. And C, he also has a history of injuries. Like, if you're Nick Chubb, this gives you security. If Nick Chubb got hurt this year... Or next year when he was on the franchise tag, or the year after that when he was on the franchise tag, he's not getting this type of contract. Yeah, so I just uh, so for him, I think this makes a lot of sense. 
So I just did some quick math. Let's say he averaged the same amount of carries per game over the next three seasons. No, it should be four seasons. My bad. Over the next four seasons. Uh, and that means he doesn't miss a game. The offense doesn't change a whole bunch, and Nick Chubb is still Nick Chubb. And reliable, that'd be a thousand more carries over the next four years, which would put him at about 1680, 1684. Which is still pretty, like, I think that's still, like, the kind of safe. He may be declining a little bit, but, but it's probably still good enough to get another contract. And, and the, the overall wear and tear uh, on him is not as extreme um, compared to other guys his age currently. And you also have to, to add in the factor of the, the offense is going to change a little bit. We might see a little bit more Kareem Hunt involvement. We might see whoever his replacement is, if they replace him at some point, involved as well. That He could have some some injury and he misses some time. Not like a... Hopefully nothing substantial. Maybe he like hurts his arm or something. You know what I mean? So right. it, there's stuff. There's potential for carries to be taken off. So I'm not necessarily yeah. all that worried from the Browns' perspective. Norm, look from his perspective, right? Like, yeah. for, if you're Nick Chubb, like you're you're thinking, listen, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll start declining. And if I do, this is a good contract. But if not. I can probably get the exact same contract, at least money wise, mm-hmm. in four more years. Yeah, some right? team, some and team so, will be stupid to to pay a, a running back close to thirty, even though it would be Nick Chubb and he's still good. But paying running backs at or above thirty is usually a, a very bad endeavor. So I could see some right. team throwing some large contract at him, regardless. And then you know we always usually see how that goes. I mean, we all remember. Uh, <laughs> Some great running backs ending their careers in strange uniforms. Uh, Edger and James in Arizona. Emmett Smith in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, he'll sign with the Cardinals. That's where it happens. That's where those run. And, like, listen, I think probably in three, three four years' time, like, he'll be 28, 29. Maybe he won't, right? Maybe he doesn't get that contract. But do I think if he puts on a good season before the year before that contract's up, would some team give him a two, three-year deal where he's getting paid another $12 million a year? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. I think that's plausible. And maybe not, but like that's the idea behind this contract, right? If not, he's still okay. And if so, he just gets paid again. Yeah. Like it was a smart contract from his perspective. From the Browns' perspective, it's great too because really they're not locked in, right? After the first two years of this contract, they can cut him with very little costs. I don't think they will, but they could. They are not, they've also given themselves wiggle room, I think, surrounding the quarterback position, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, I don't, uh, I do I think Baker will be the Browns quarterback for the next five years? I uh, Honestly, probably, no matter whatever issues I have with that, I think that's probably the world we're in. Mm-hmm. But it's not impossible that he doesn't, right? So, for yeah. example, if next year Aaron Rodgers says he demands a trade, and let's say the Browns make it to either the Super Bowl and lose or the AFC Championship game and lose. I don't think it's implausible the Browns say, you know, and, and that all, like, Baker has a good year, not a great year. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's implausible that the Browns make that type of trade. And having Chubb on this type of contract gives you the opportunity that if you do that type of kind of very short-term trade, you can A, win the Super Bowl, and then B, draft another quarterback while still having Chubb. Or mm-hmm. you just keep Baker, and then you need Chubb anyways for this offense. Yeah. 
I mean, there's it's a great deal. It, it really is. And what it does, uh, another bonus from the Browns' perspective, this also uh, is a bonus for Nick Chubb as well, is they don't have to play what seemed like it could have been the inevitable franchise tag game, which very rarely works out well for either side when it comes to running backs. We've seen it pretty much uh, have a negative result just about every time. <laughs> One of the more famous examples being Le'Veon Bell sitting out then signing for less with the Jets and then have basically his career is basically over now. Yeah, yeah, no, the franchise tag was the world both parties wanted to avoid. I actually, I am not confident that if Chubb did not get re-signed, they would have franchise tagged him next year. I think they may have let him walk. Um, and I think they probably explained that to him, mm -hmm. right? That, listen, neither of us want to be in this world. You definitely don't because mm -hmm. it never ends well for running backs. And we don't because we don't want to pay you that much on one-year deals. And so I think it worked out. I mean, listen, it's great for both parties. I think here's the other thing. Like, I firmly believe, based on research I did this weekend and I've done kind of throughout the year, Nick Chubb is a very analytically valuable running back to the Browns being able to win games. Mm -hmm. Even if you disagree with that, and let's say you're like, listen, the numbers say no matter, and this is wrong, but let, let's say you insist on this, that numbers suggest running backs don't matter. Here's the other thing I'll point out, and like this may be silly because I know sports is about winning. I think most people just like watching running backs play. Like, there's something to that, right? Like, mm -hmm. even if it's not all that valuable, like, sports are about enjoyment. And like, at some point, I wish we could just like take a step back and enjoy the game. Mm -hmm. I, I enjoy watching Nick Chubb run. Same. He's he's really good. He's extremely talented. He's like I said, one of, if not the best, runner in football. And I'm glad you brought up the, the running backs don't matter, because that's such a, that's such a, I want to be the smartest person in the room statement. That's what that is, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, pretty much anyone who says that and puts that out there is not the smartest person in the room statement. That is, they're just echoing something that they heard someone on TV or a podcast or read said, okay? So it wasn't their own original right. statement, Okay. First of all, second of all, if you want to make that that statement actually true, you just got to tweak it a little bit. Average running backs don't matter. Good running backs do matter. Dick Chubb's a yeah, good running back. I mean, you could say most running backs don't matter. Or yeah, most running backs like, don't matter too. I'm yeah, very comfortable making that statement that most running backs don't matter. Nick Chubb matters. Yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, I mean, like, do I think like Devin Singletary is like this or was, yeah, that's the Bills running back, right? Devin yeah. Singletary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, like, I do I think he matters? No, I think he's probably very replaceable, even though he's a good running back. Same with like Chris Carson in Seattle, right? Like he's a good running back. He's replaceable. Like, I, I, I don't think like he's that substantially better than whatever you're going to find is a free agent. Nick Chubb matters. Mm hmm. We know, because Kareem Hunt, also probably a top 10 running back in the NFL, the offense looked like crud when Hunt was the number one running back. Yeah, there's a very, very noticeable drop-off when Kareem Hunt is in the game versus Nick Chubb. When they're trying to run plays right. designed for Nick Chubb with Kareem Hunt. It just doesn't work. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. I think the running backs don't matter statement is, and, and like, it's funny, even a lot of the analytics people will tell you, because I've seen it on Twitter, like, 
the statement actually ended up being a little regrettable because it disguised the main point they were trying to make, which is that most running backs are replaceable. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, if you have a good quarterback and a good running back, you're going to want to prioritize the quarterback. That was the initial statement. Mm-hmm. And then it got bastardized. Oh, yeah, because um, it got bastardized because passing is more sexy than running. Well, and it's also dumb. Like, I, I again, I get the, the background of the phrase. It's a, like, if you make the phrase running backs don't matter, you, you got to understand, like, that's going to get bastardized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a, a really dumb sentence. It's going to get hijacked by people that have no business uh, trying to preach sports to people. <laughs> right. Because that, that's, that's, Again, that's normally what it is. Enjoy it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I agree. So is there anything else you would like to say about Nick Chubb before we move on to our next topic? Really, like, the only thing, like, I really encourage you guys to read the articles we wrote over, or you guys, our listeners, to read the articles we wrote over the weekend. Yeah. I think both of us kind of really tried to address, like, the value in the sign. I think in both articles we also, like, said, like, listen, there are reasons why you may not be thrilled with this signing. Mm-hmm. And then we both said, but like, these are the reasons that's wrong. Yeah. So well, I think people should really kind of give our, our, our pieces a read because I think they both were pretty good and real. I mean, I really enjoyed yours. Uh, I Interesting. Uh, good reads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we go from different angles to tackle the same subject and come to ultimately the same conclusion. So, depending on what style you prefer, I still recommend you read both of them. But if you want, if you want some very in-depth data and want to be like, why does this make so much sense numbers-wise, Jordan, your article is fantastic for that. If you just want, just kind of like a nice little casual read and just be like, okay, tell me why this makes sense. That's what I got you. Yeah, yeah. And to to be yeah to to be clear to the listeners, James is a much better writer than I am. Like like substantially much easier read. So yes, a hundred percent. Thanks for that. Thank you very much. You you also are a talented writer, my friend. <laughs> but uh, let let's go on uh, to our next subject because uh, it's actually going to lead to a new segment we're doing. But first, the subject is. Uh, there's a viral video of Jadavian Clowney doing some strange drill, but then just co- tripping over himself at the end. Um, what the hell was that? <laughs> I don't know what the drill is. It seems like it like poorly. Des- I mean, I know that I've seen the drill before. Mm-hmm. I think the way it was like set up was very poorly designed. Mm-hmm. What was funny to me, like Clowney's like knocking over these poles, and like he looks fine. He looks like you would expect a starting defensive lineman in the NFL to look. And then he falls, and people are like, oh, man, this clip is amazing. I'm thinking, like, first off, first off, I think you guys are missing the him falling part of the end. It's not that amazing. But but second, like, who cares? It was hilarious, though. It, like you said, the general consensus I saw from people who either are or were in the NFL have said uh, this drill was set up incorrectly. But... It was just kind of funny just to see him. It looks like he's cruising, cruising, then falls right on his face. I'm just like, this. This was just like too perfect. Yeah. And uh, uh, 
one of my favorites, uh, Mike Lombardi, uh, tweeted out and said, thanks to all who sent this, because he knows, if anyone listens to uh, his podcast, uh, The GM Shuffle, or listen to him talk about Jadavian Clowney, uh, he's not necessarily the biggest fan of him. So, uh, as soon as the moment uh, the internet could take to tag him in it and send it to him, uh, they ran with it, and he's just like, yep, I totally get this. <laughs> well, and to be fair to the clip, like, I think it shows, like, the issue you and I have had with Clowney the whole time. We don't, it's not that we think, like, Clowney is bad. Um, it's that, like, what he does so well is throw, like, all of his effort in that initial burst. Mm-hmm. Right? That's exactly like, what happens. Like, <laughs> right. Like, he's incredible. And then by the end of the play, he's exhausted. Yeah. The and, fr- like, it's, like, seriously, like, if you want to watch, like, a guy kick ass at snap like there's not a guy better in the nfl than Clowney. Mm-hmm. the problem is like he gets exhausted from doing that yeah like and then he falls yeah he made those first two pylons his bitch then the third one tripped him up <laughs> right exactly <laughs> which is what happens like that that's his entire nfl career that is the definition of his nfl career uh, that seems just about just about right but uh, we were we were talking about this clip last night uh, over Twitter, uh, me and you were, and uh, I came up with uh, some phrasing that you fell in absolute love with. Uh, would you like to share it, or do you want me to introduce the phrasing? No, it's, it's your baby. you got to share it. <laughs> okay, so we're talking, we're going through, we're talking about Clowney, we're talking about who he is, uh, we brought up former Brown Olivier Vernon, you said... Before I said the phrase, you said Clowney is just a guy. I said, you know what? There are guys and there are dudes. Clowney is a guy. Vernon was a dude. So, yep. based off of that, let's start with this new segment, guys or dudes. Let's look at the Browns' defensive line. That's the first position group we're going to start with. Who's a guy and who's a dude? We've pretty much already established that Genevieve and Clowney's just a guy, but... The obvious dude of the group's Miles Garrett, right? He's a dude. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, Miles, well... He's I a think, dude. I, I think he's a dude. <laughs> he's a dude. Well, I, I think he's a dude. I, I, I think he's a dude. We'll see this year, but I am cautiously optimistic that he is a dude. Yeah. Uh, based on, like, what I saw from camp today, where he just, like, destroyed play-action bootlegs, mm-hmm. I, I think he's a dude. I, yeah. I, I, I'm less worried about him than I was, so given like my two training camp video watches, which I know means I know everything about the team, but yes, but that in, in, in all seriousness, that did give me some confidence. So he's a dude. I think he's probably like in terms of the starters, the only guy we could actually classify is like this guy's a dude. Like mm-hmm. he is like one of the best in his role, his position. Now, is there another guy in the group who we want to give the dude designation to? I mean, like, maybe when we start getting the backups, like, I think there's actually some, like, pretty talented backups on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. But I, they're backups, right? They're dudes for being a backup. Okay, so um, let's, I guess let's uh, let's tweak it for the backup guy. So as a backup, who's a dude and who's just a guy? Because I have, I have one who's probably going to be a backup who I have pretty much identified as a dude. And that's... All right, you go first. Go, the, go with it. The one I've identified as a dude who is in a backup role would be, or, you know, projected backup role, uh, Malik Jackson. 
Mm-hmm. He's a dude in the backup role. Yeah, I agree with that. I I know people think he may start a defensive tackle. I, I don't. I don't so know how you can start him in billing. So I think he probably is kind of that rotational piece. He's a dude. That yeah. dude plays it, and he plays it. He can do the five tech. He can do a little bit of the three tech. Like he's a dude. Mm-hmm. Versatile. He's good. Do I think he's gonna be a Pro Bowler or even like a consistent starter? No, but. He's a dude. He's going to play a lot of snaps. Yeah. I mean, even if he's technically the starter, I still think snap count-wise is probably going to play towards that backup amount of snap count, honestly. Exactly. So exactly. even if he's listed as the starter, I think he's going to get backup snap counts, honestly. I agree. Now, uh... I agree. And I don't think he's going to be playing at one position either, which I think is, like, the other thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like... No matter what people say, Jadavion Clowney's playing most of his snaps that right defensive end position. Oh, you mean they're not kicking him into defensive tackle? Oh, that's what Twitter told me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, do I think, like, there will be times where he plays defensive tackle, like, an obvious pass rush snaps? Yeah. But there's so few obvious pass rush, like, snaps where it obviously benefits the Browns to rush the passer. Like, you can maybe one to two a game. Um, otherwise, yeah, Clowney's the right defensive end. Garrett's the left defensive end. And, and here's the other thing about Clowney. This is the other thing that I think makes him a guy. Vernon could play both defensive end positions very, very well. Like, mm-hmm. they would very frequently last year just flip their positions based mm-hmm. on matchups. Uh, Clowney has shown, like, historically, he's not a great left defensive end. He's not great at going after the quarterback's blindside because of the same problem he's had his entire career, which is, like, he throws everything he can at the start mm-hmm. of a play, which means by, like, the time he reaches the quarterback, he's tired. Um, Which is the other reason why I think he's a guy. But anyways, like, Billings, what do you think about Billings? Ooh, Starting this, defensive tackle. This Andrew. is a tough one. We haven't seen him play in a year. Yeah. That's... We know he's... uh. There's no other way to say this, but, like, he's fat as fuck. Um, so there's that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw him into the guy category. I think he's just a guy. Yeah, I think he's just a guy, too. I think he's a guy. I think he's a placeholder for a year. I think the if you're the Browns, I think what you're hoping are two guys that I think are guys right now, but you're hoping Jordan Elliott or Tommy Togiai become a dude. Mm-hmm. I think Togiai could become one, but we had to see him play in the NFL first. Right, exactly. I agree with that. I I am very high on Togi. I I I actually think Elliot, like in terms of your rotational defensive lineman, I think he could become a dude. I think like if you're the Browns, you want Malik Jackson to take Jordan Elliott under his wing, mm-hmm. because to me, like that's the projection you have for Elliot. Like the high end for Elliot is like this rotational defensive lineman that can play in a variety of spots across the defensive line, not necessarily somebody you want as your starter. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right on that. Absolutely. Tack McKinley. Tack McKinley. Oh man, this guy's a dude. No, he's a guy. He's a guy. He's a guy. He's a guy. Okay. <laughs> that that's where I'm at with Tack McKinley. Um, Just honest question, like because third string defensive lineman, I think Porter Gustin's a dude. Like, I, point being, I'm with I don't you. Know that, like, he's a sneaky dude. Does, 
Pack McKinley make the roster over Porter Gustin, honestly. I think he I think he makes the roster, but I don't think he makes it over Porter Gustin. I think he makes it I think he makes it over some of these other guys. So maybe like a, a Malik McDowell or a, a Joe Jackson, uh Cameron Melvo, guys like that, but I don't think he makes it over yeah. specifically Porter Gustin. I mean, I think Porter Gustin for like what he is, right, which is a backup defensive end, is really good. Mm-hmm. Like, he can play both sides. He's not a terrible pass rusher. He's not, I mean, he's not good. But, like, for a backup, if he I mean, needs exactly what you want. If he needs someone to execute the play while the starter's not in, Porter Gustin's pretty damn good at doing that. I, I don't yeah, remember seeing just, him make a whole bunch of, like, critical mistakes that we've seen with other backup defensive ends that have graced... Uh, first energy field uh for Shandy stadiums uh you know field but porter gustin has been pretty consistent in that backup role and he's not someone that's just gonna like m- completely misread a play or um do something that's going to cost you the game really right i agree with that i i think that I, it's funny. In a lot of ways, I am more hopeful for some of these backups to become dudes than I am for the starters. Like, Miles Garrett's a dude, and I think the rest of that, like, and again, maybe if you consider Malik Jackson, like, a starter, whatever. Like, yeah. so you have two dudes, two guys, but, like, I don't, I don't have much hope for the two guys. But when yeah. you get to the backups, like, Elliot, Togi, I, and Gustin, mm-hmm. I don't think, oh, well, I think Gustin actually for a backup is a dude right now, but, like, I, those three I actually think have untapped potential. That mm-hmm. I'm excited for. I don't feel that way about a lot of the starters. Like I cannot imagine Andrew Billings is going to come back after not playing for a year and all of a sudden be just a stud starter. Yeah, I I don't see that happening either. Uh, uh, Tack McKinley, uh, whatever he does, bonus. Uh, but a uh, quick side note: um, the the Ravens signing uh, Justin Houston uh, this past weekend. Uh, oh. Makes me hate the Tack McKinley signing much more because uh, they paid him less. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, listen, he has definitely declined over the past few years, but like, he's still a really good player. Mm-hmm. Do I think like for the Ravens, he's going to be playing every snap? Absolutely not. Honestly, he's probably a rotational defensive lineman mm-hmm. for them. But like, that's what Tack McKinley is for us. Yeah, I would rather have Justin Houston as a rotational defensive lineman than Tack McKinley. Ten times out of ten. Yeah. 10 times out of 10. Because I, I just... Even yeah. in the later stages of his career, guess what? Justin Houston, he's a dude. Yeah. Well, it's like Malik Jackson, right? Mm-hmm. Like, are they guys I want starting and, like, playing 70 to 75% of snaps? No. But, like, are they guys that I would be very comfortable with taking 50 to 60% of snaps? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is there There's my view on it? Like, yeah. I, I just... you're right. Now, uh, there's a, there's a couple guys uh, on this list still. I don't think Damian Square makes the roster. Uh, Marvin Wilson, I think, is going to be a practice squad guy. Um, but I think he has. He's one of those. I, I think Marvin Wilson's one of those guys that, like, more than likely is a practice squad guy. But like, we talked about it after we signed him as an undrafted free agent. He is talented as. hell all hell mm-hmm. like that dude can play and so like he's one of those guys where i'm like this guy may end up being a dude like this season and nobody sees it coming 
Yeah, I, what I, I, here's my projection for Marvin Wilson. He starts off on the practice squad. There's an injury to one of the defensive tackles. They bring him up. The dude starts playing, and uh, the guy who got hurt doesn't get his uh, job back. He gets Wally pipped. Yeah, I would. That wouldn't surprise me to be honest. Or, or that the guy that's hurt gets a spot back, but his replacement doesn't. Right. So, like, mm-hmm. I think if I'm Jordan Elliott. That's a situation that, like, I like if Billings gets hurt, I think Elliott is probably who you play in that left defensive tackle spot. Mm-hmm. Probably. Maybe you do Togia. I don't know. But if, I mean, in that world where Marvin Wilson takes those kind of rotational snaps and he looks really good, I don't know for a fact that, like, the Elliott or the Togiai or whoever it is end up getting that rotational spot back. I Wilson would have been a first or second round pick if it weren't for kind of character issues in college Mm -hmm. that simple yeah so i definitely think he could be has has let's call it dude potential how's that sound dude potential yeah yeah i think we have a lot of these guys that have dude potential but that are still currently guys yeah that just we they just need to prove it a little bit so i think you know togi i mean they're both i mean two of the guys are rookies so you know togi wilson dude potential uh, Port Augustine rotational dude, but yep. a, a lot of guys on this. So Elliot Billings, Clowney, yeah. Tech McKinley. I mean, the defensive line is the biggest question mark in this whole team. Like it, it's just the reality. It's the biggest question mark on this whole team because the depth is, I mean, in reality, we don't know who Togi and Wilson are. We really still don't know who Jordan Elliott is. We know who Tech McKinley is. Meh. We know poor Augustine is again like Sal, but he's he's meh. I I personally don't think Jadavian County is like great. I, I I am less confident than a lot of people on his ability to perform. I think there will be a noticeable drop off from having Olivier Vernon. I'm confident in Malik Jackson for what he is, and I'm not confident in Andrew Billings. It's like there's a lot of question marks there. There are, and I I think. In time, I think uh, past uh, over, uh, I think past this season, over the next off season, through the draft, through free agency, the, the next position group they specifically target to make substantial upgrades and is the defensive line because uh, they haven't really made any long term commitments there uh, outside of yeah. a couple draft picks. There, they've made long term yeah, commitments just about everywhere else. Curtis Weaver. Uh, I, about Curtis Weaver, speaking of like guys that have potential at some point and then I've never seen play. I I have not heard anything. I mean, I feel like he's another cut. Like, that's the problem I have with this line. Like, I remember when they signed Curtis Weaver, he was undrafted free agent, and everybody was like, oh man, like, this guy's special. It's like, is he? Probably not. <laughs> like, I mean, probably not. Like, that's a problem with getting guys like this. Like you just, yeah. They, like even a Marvin Wilson, who you and I are really high on, he may be nothing. Yeah, that's that's very true. He Damian can be nothing. Square. Yeah, Damian Square is like another guy that everybody was really high on when he was uh, when he was a rookie. I remember this, um, and then he's had like a weird past few seasons. And now the Browns picked him up. Like, yeah, maybe he is actually something, but like. I just, I don't, I, I'm not sure. Like, that's my pro. I mean, he's been in the league for a lot of years mm-hmm. and has really not played a lot of games. 
So I know he's like a 32 year old vet, but I don't know. I just I'm the, the, not the, super confident in his ability to be anything more than a cut, uh, preseason cut. I say the way I looked at him is just a, a training camp body. It's, that's the way I looked at the signing yeah. to begin with. Is tr- Damien Square yeah. training camp body? But yeah, yeah I, I, when it when it's all said and done, I'm pretty sure it's all just going to be um, a lot of guys. A lot of guys. Uh, he's Malik McDowell, somebody that may make the roster. He might. I'm not positive. He could be one of those back end of the yeah, of the roster I mean, type I dudes. Just, but I just I this line is shaky. Mm-hmm. I mean, if Miles, God forbid, Miles Garrett gets hurt, mm-hmm. that's all yeah. I'm gonna say. Because if he gets hurt, I, I, and this is gonna be the Joe Woods problem, right? Last year, Joe Woods had a good defensive line. That was a good defensive line last year. He was able to generate pressure with the four-man rush. I am less confident in their ability to do that this year. And so then the question's got to be, okay, well if you can't generate pressure, how are you gonna make the quarterback's life a living hell? I mean, I think Taki Taki's going to play a lot of snaps just because of his ability to generate pressure. Honestly, same with Jacob Phillips. Mm-hmm. Like, they're linebackers, but they're they're at least they, they can create pressure because this defensive line. But then you play them to create pressure. That's one less person you have out in coverage. So I I am. Woods has a... That's going to be a problem for Woods. It is. It, it's really going to be something to, to monitor and watch how everything develops, progresses, or regresses over the season. You know, it could really go in either direction, depending on how everything really works out, honestly. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Uh, any last thoughts here about the Browns before we wrap this up? No, I mean, I think, like, it's funny. We really talked about two positions today. One where I think the Browns... But running back, I think the Browns have the best running back room in the NFL, and I'm not sure it's particularly close. And then defensive line, I, I you have Miles Garrett, so that's a plus, but in terms of playoff teams, like teams that I think have playoff potential, I think the Browns have one of the worst defensive lines. So we kind of hit both today. Yeah, it's it's kind of... Kind of an interesting, uh, kind of an interesting dynamic between those two position groups. Yeah, with uh, how the Browns yeah. are set up. Yeah, I, I'm just ready for the season to get. To, I, I like. I saw some tweet today that 11 days until the Premier League starts, and then like 30 until the NFL season, mm-hmm. something like that, or like 32, something. I don't know. I'm really excited. The next month is going to be just a blast. Yeah, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun, especially in the, in the wake of the Cleveland baseball team just kind of falling apart. It would give me something to get excited for and pay attention to on a more regular basis. <laughs> if I told you five years ago the most exciting team in Cleveland would be the Browns, what would you have said? Like, the Cavs just win the title. I say five years, Browns are going to be the best team in Cleveland. What would you have said? Uh, I would call you a liar. I would ask, right. did one of the teams move? Right. Um, I would ask what happened to LeBron. 
and I would just be completely confused. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, honestly, it's exciting. I, I think as much as I love the Cavs and I don't follow the Indians much, except I'm a total Fairweather Indians fan, but mm-hmm. like the fans that go to games for the Indians love the Indians or the Guardians now. Yeah. Love them. I, yeah. I think as much as Cleveland loves both of those teams, if, if you could pull every single person living in Cleveland and you give them the option of they don't care mm-hmm. what team would people most want to win the title i think it's the browns by significant margins so yeah it is i'm pretty excited about it i think cleveland's pretty excited about it and i just hope that we've seen it so many times where you have a year with expectations the team does bad Mm -hmm. but i really hope this year like it's just a continuation of last yeah i i really hope so too and i think i think they're really in a good spot uh for moving forward uh but that's going to do it for this episode here. And uh, as always, you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, SoundCloud, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. This is Believeland.com has it as well as RealBrownsFans.com. And I want to say thank you for listening and spending a little under an hour listening to us talk about the Browns, uh, guys and dudes, and a little uh, miscellaneous Cleveland sports at the end. <laughs>